0: We have to protect these workers. We're going to get them the best protection possible. And if there's an accident, we don't say, hey, that guy's a dummy. We say, why did that person do that? There must have been some sort of reason for that happening. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. We interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics,
1: and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. What's up, folks? Chris here. And today on the show, we are covering a topic that I'm surprised it took us over 10 episodes to get to. We're going to be talking about safety and specifically the overarching theme is how to create a culture of safety within your manufacturing workplace our featured guest today is arguably the most qualified person to talk about this because he just wrote a book on safety his name is joe gang and he is the vice president over at superior glove in canada and the author of the book rethinking hand safety We had a bit of fun with this interview because we did it on January 14th, which was actually the day the book was being released. So some excitement behind that fun interview. And with that, what are three things you can expect from today's show? Well, first, Joe shares the fundamental characteristic that safe companies have in common. If you want to know what that is, keep on listening. Number two... We hear how workplace culture impacts safety, both in terms of companies that excel at creating a culture of safety, as well as companies that have a bit of work to do in that regard. For all you manufacturing leaders out there, this is a great opportunity for some quick self-assessing and reflecting. Finally, this episode is full of stories. Having just written a book, Joe shares specific examples of how safety not only has a positive effect on morale and trust, but in turn, how it positively impacts productivity and profits as well. If you are a first-time listener or you're a long-time listener, if you have the opportunity after this episode, if you loved what you heard, I would greatly appreciate it if you could head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star rating and review five-star rating is super quick you just hit that five-star button the review takes maybe just a minute of your time because it can be as short as one sentence you do that on the apple podcasts platform which you can access from your desktop or your iphone through the web link manufacturing slash itunes if you leave a rating and review i might just owe you a beer now let's not waste any time jumping into today's interview It's time to talk safety with Joe Gang. Our guest today is the vice president at Superior Glove and an expert in hand safety. He's earned degrees from Trinity Western University and the Reitlingen Leather School in Germany, a place he has described as the Hogwarts of leather making. In essence, this individual has dedicated his career to industrial hand safety and knows that safety can be a key to enhancing workplace culture. And you can read all about it in his new book, Rethinking Hand Safety, Myths, Truths, and Proven Practices. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Gang. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey Chris, how you doing? doing well excited to have you on the show today and uh, for those of you that are curious about the new book you can learn all about it uh, not only on this show but uh, rethinkinghandsafety.com and you can learn more about superior glove at superiorglove.com all of those will be captured in the show notes so with that, Joe, to kick things off, I, since it's Manufacturing Happy Hour, I always like to set the stage in a happy hour type fashion. So let's say we're hanging out at a, a pub in Toronto. We're drinking some Labot Blue or Molson and the the, uh, the Maple Leafs game is on in the background and someone comes up to you and asks, hey, Joe, what, what is it you do? What do you tell them in 30 seconds?
0: Um, what I generally say is my family's company, we make the best workloads in the world and we help. Uh, reduce hand injuries at large manufacturing and construction companies
1: love that and i think i was reading up on superior glove i thought i came across a line that said you are the largest manufacturer of gloves in canada is that true uh yeah that's true yeah for for gloves in general or safety related gloves
0: uh work gloves work gloves. Okay. many people making gloves in general in canada but you're one of the few
1: I was going to say it sounds like a pretty high demand business for Canada, where it's pretty cold, so when I heard the largest manufacturer of gloves, I was curious I'm like that would be a pretty prestigious honor to have so well, I'm excited to learn more about it to learn a little bit about a little bit about your story. How does one start a career in hand safety?
0: uh I was born into it my dad he came over from Germany and then he was a, a leather tanner by trade mm. and um he was making leather uh, across Canada and, and ended up here, kind of northwest of Toronto. And he was just making a lot of leather for glove companies. And then he just decided, like, what am I doing making the leather for the glove companies? I'll make the gloves too. Bold statement. So he started a glove company with another partner and they made terrible gloves for like the first year. They didn't know what they were doing at all. <laughs> there was a lot more than he anticipated. Uh, but then after that, uh, they started figuring it out slowly, piece by piece. And so I was kind of born into it and kind of grew up working in the business, uh, that sort of
1: thing. Well, you know, it, it, I was I was intrigued by the new book, a book just all about hand safety, I guess. And the the subtitle of that is Myths, Truths, and Proven Practices. I'm curious, what's one fundamental game-changing fact about hand safety that you wish more people knew right off the bat?
0: Well, I, I think kind of the the biggest thing that we discovered through all the research and the interviews is that a safe company to have a few hand injuries or just safety in general those companies have a lot of trust uh, between their, their safety management and their employees and then also the safety manager and their upper management so their ceo is on board as well so kind of it's like there's a, a very trusting culture there to start with
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um and that, that sort of facilitated everything else without that trust on board from the beginning then nothing really worked out so if the ceo didn't really buy into it had if you had a safety manager with the best intentions that weren't really able to make the significant changes that they wanted to.
1: So, starting out with a culture of trust is really what allows a company to get to those safety goals they have down exactly. the line. Kind of-
0: yeah, I can tell a story just to kind of illustrate that a little bit. Is one safety manager we were talking to, he told the stories that when he was in the job interview uh, for his position, they're pretty much offering him the job, and he said, I have one like demand that I have to meet, is that for the first week of my job, you need to put me on the floor and I need to do the job.
1: Mm-hmm. And they're
0: like, okay, that's fine. And they thought it was a little bit curious. And then he got onto the floor and he said, make sure you put me in the, the toughest jobs in the worst spots. And the workers around them like kind of snickered and they thought it was funny. And then they realized after like a day, this guy's really serious. He's doing this. And he had after that week, a really in-depth understanding of what they were going through. And then he'd earned their respect. And then like the rest of the job was much easier from there because he had won over everybody and earned credibility by getting his hands dirty, so to speak.
1: Not only do I love a story about a leader jumping in and taking on, let's say, the toughest jobs, making sure they understand the ins and outs of those aspects, but it's funny how much of an impact safety has on a company. But it it comes without a surprise to me in a lot of ways. I think the first time I guess I encountered this topic is a a quick personal story. Um, There's a book called Good to Great that goes over like 15 different companies that beat the market. And one of them was... uh, and one of the reasons that they succeeded in that is when they brought in a new CEO, his sole focus was how do we in like, make this place safe, how safe are our current practices, how do we make sure we have a culture of safety, so to speak, and just seeing yeah. how that impacts organizations.
0: Can I tell a story on, on that one too?
1: Please do. Yeah. And 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 stories are always welcome on this show cuz they're the things that uh, that people remember when it's all said and done. So I love it. Keep them coming.
0: Yeah, one of the, the stories that we used in the book and was like really one of the most powerful stories that we came across was um, there's a large steel company in the United States and they got a new CEO on board and they had like a pretty high injury rate. And mm. then he was on his like like a month in the job, he's on the call with the Wall Street and he said, told them that if you want to see how we're doing financially, just take a look at our safety numbers. And the stock dropped because they thought like a few people were like, "This guy's a hippie. He's going to drive the company to the ground. All he cares about is safety." And then like over his twenty-year tenure, the safety numbers were amazing. That they dropped, the injuries dropped dramatically. Uh, but then the financials were also phenomenal. They like dramatically outperformed the S and P five hundred. What he said is he realized that get employees engaged at a manufacturing company, to make sure that they're going home safe. Like that's kind of a bare minimum. That, that was a way that he he was able to reach everybody.
1: One thing that that stuck out when I was doing some some research for this interview was some some other myths. I heard around safety, this is going to get, this is a little bit of a transition. It's a little tactical, but um, it sounds like there are companies out there that advertise uh, cut proof gloves, so to speak, or that there's a lot of, I I should, I'm just going to say it sounds like false advertising out there. When you hear that, what is, what is your response to that myth?
0: Yeah, it's kind of, it's misleading for sure. So yeah, you see that on Amazon and other places where like cut cut proof or, or sometimes competitors, they'll promote that. And really, everything can be cut, right? Like you can cut a steel, you can cut whatever. So even a chainmail glove um, that can be cut. So there's standards out there that measure cut resistance. Like all of our gloves and a lot of our competitors' gloves are all rated for on that ANSI rating. So you, so it gives people they're able to choose. Okay, this is the cut level that I need, and it goes one through nine. The mistake that we typically see companies making is overshooting sometimes, so that like they'll be doing some job with sheet metal and they think that they need the highest cut level and really they're they're putting their employees in gloves that are kind of bulky and too oh, essentially overprotecting their employees at the cost of comfort and when the gloves aren't comfortable then people tend to take them off and then that's when the real hazards happen so they're like they need to do their job so they take the gloves off then they forget to put them back on and that's when they're getting injured so we what we advocate is like Get some expert advice on actually the level that you need for cut resistance, and then don't overdo it necessarily.
1: You're bringing up something else that stuck out was that it's I think it's something like 70% of injuries happen because there's no safety equipment, and there's a there's another 30% of injuries that happen because it's the wrong equipment.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there were some other studies then that when they interview people, and like overwhelmingly, the reason they didn't wear PPE personal protective equipment is because it wasn't comfortable so it's like you really have to make sure I mean of course you need that adequate protection or better than adequate protection you need good protection but you have to can't ignore comfort because that's what is really going to drive people to wear.
1: We'll be right back right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Concept Systems, who you can find at conceptsystemsinc.com. Concept Systems is an independent systems integrator and your automation solution partner for anything from antiquated control system retrofits to greenfield controls coordination and project management. Whether it's process or discrete control, Concept Systems has been doing this for over 20 years. They've partnered with best-in-class companies like Rockwell Automation and Fanuc to conceptualize, design, and build automation systems that include everything like robotics, vision systems, and manufacturing intelligence solutions. Personally, I've been familiar with concept systems for a couple years now, and I have to say I'm a huge fan of the amazing team they have over there. With national presence across the U.S., they have application experience in more than just a few industries, including food and beverage, aerospace, automotive, building products, and metals, just to name a few. If you have a project coming up requiring an automation solution partner or even a main automation contractor, head over to ConceptSystemsInc.com and get in touch. They take an extremely methodical, risk-mitigating approach to project management that allows you to hit your project timelines and keep focusing on your core business. Oh. And if you want to hear a bit more about Concept Systems, make sure to check out Episode 7 of Manufacturing Happy Hour, which is our panel discussion on smart manufacturing, featuring Concept Systems' very own Director of Sales and Marketing, Ryan Wasmond. And now, back to today's episode. We're covering some cool topics here. We're talking about the comfort of the safety equipment. We're going over how leadership impl- uh, impacts safety culture and impacts company performance as a whole. And I know some of these stories you've incorporated into your book. I guess the question is, why after 15, 16-something years in this industry, why now? Why Why is now the time to put rethinking hand safety out there into, into the market?
0: I think it, for us, uh, for myself and for our company, it was just sort of the realization that we had customers and we were providing them with the best gloves that we could, and they're still getting injured. And we really didn't have any advice. So it was kind of like we felt, I think there's that analogy or that saying of a man with a hammer thinks every problem is a nail. So it's like, if the company had a problem with they're having injuries, like just buy more gloves or buy more, better gloves. And And really that wasn't the answer. They're having other issues. So for us, it was like, we realized that we didn't have good answers and couldn't give the best advice to the customer, our customers that we wanted. But then at the same time, we knew we were in a good place to find out what it was, because we were in all kinds of companies every day. And we're visiting companies that have really low injury rates that are doing an amazing job, and then companies that are doing a terrible job. And if we dug in, we knew we could kind of find out what the difference was between the two of them. And so we felt like we're in a good position to find that answer and provide that to safety managers.
1: Can you give us a little more insight on that? Because I'd love to know what are some things the companies that are doing it right have in common, and on the flip side, what are some things the companies that are doing it wrong have in common? Just for characteristics that you know, let's say the manufacturing leaders that are listening to this show can look for to assess within their own organization. So I think it kind
0: of goes back to that first point of the like that trust, right? So that yeah. um, companies that that are doing it, I'll start with the companies that are doing it wrong. So what they're kind of thinking, mm-hmm. uh, what we found is okay, I'm not going to give this uh, worker the best protection because they're just going to take it home and they're going to steal it. And then they're just going to be dumb anyway. They're going to do something stupid and they're going to get an accident. And that's just human nature. So they kind of had this sort of negative view of their employees. And what the opposite companies, the companies with the lower hand injury rates said, we have to protect these workers. We're going to get them the best protection possible. And if there's an accident, we don't say, hey, that guy's a dummy. We say, why did that person do that? There must have been some sort of reason for that happening. So then when they, they kind of peel back the layers of the onion, what appeared to be kind of this uh, stupid mistake that this person made, they might have actually made it because their foreman said, okay, we're under production pressure here, you got to speed it up. Or they maybe they weren't trained properly, so that people tended to actually act reasonably, given the circumstances. So th- that was really kind of a, a night and day difference between the two of them.
1: I think one thing you're starting to touch on is some of the psychology aspects as well earlier in the in the conversation you talked about how comfort plays a reason that People don't wear safety equipment at work, but if I remember right, your book touches on the psychology also of why people on the plant floor, why workers at these companies wouldn't wear safety equipment, and I imagine it has something to do with that trust factor. But there are other th- are there other things that go into that psychology?
0: Yeah, there there is other things, and like it affects affects all of us really. It's a, like those cognitive biases. So you're, I think we're seeing more and more writing about that. So, for example, like cognitive biases that affect safety are. Like overconfidence bias. So, like when they study where they ask drivers, like, "Are you better than average driver?" Ninety-five percent of people say they're better than average. And the same thing that goes when you're on a workplace, uh, like in a workplace, you think, "Okay, that accident could happen to somebody else, but not not to me." Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like all all those kind of biases that that add up that make you feel safer uh, than you
1: really are and it, it it definitely makes sense i've I've kind of thought about it in the same standpoint as like rock climbing or someone that's an expert in an extreme sport. typically, it's not the newbie that's getting hurt it's someone that's very experienced that has accidentally or maybe on purpose cut a corner
0: yeah the, a lot of the the injuries when we talked to people it was like is the end of the shift they're trying to rush something and so so they cut a corner and they may have cut that corner. 90 times before and it was okay, but it's Mm -hmm. like or 99 times before and it's the 100th time that the odds catch up to you and then that serious accident happens.
1: And you've probably seen a number of scenarios over the years that you've been working in this industry. I'm curious, as you were writing the book, was there a new discovery, something that surprised you that you didn't initially expect?
0: Yeah, there was tons of stuff. Like there was a lot of surprising factors about injuries and, and how to prevent them. Um, like one of them, one of the things that we stumbled across was just, there were studies done around housekeeping and how big of an impact, like tidy housekeeping. So there was academic studies that showed workplaces that, that did major cleanups with like their hand injury rates and injury rates overall dropped by 75, 80, 90%, something like that. So much bigger than you would think from just tidying up. The other things that we came across. So there, there's a practice called behavior-based safety and essentially what it is, is determining what are the behaviors that lead to accidents and then having somebody on the floor observe them and just record them and then post a chart of how often that that behavior is happening and that was highly effective that's kind of a, a controversial uh, method because some people feel like big brother is watching sort of thing but workplaces that have implemented that well and again that had a good trust to start with uh, have seen dramatic injury rate drops as well
1: it's interesting because I've seen that from a machine safety standpoint in some regards also, mainly that it's like a it, you need to look at the behaviors that are taking place when it comes to, let's say, doing a machine assessment of or a, a machine safety assessment. You're really looking at how frequently someone's interacting with a piece of equipment and then what type of activity and what could be the severity of a potential injury. So yeah. what I've found is most of at least when it comes to safety, it's really what are the behaviors that are taking place in advance of a potential injury that need to be looked at? Yeah.
0: The other thing that was pretty surprising too is so in safety with safety managers, there exists this often quoted hierarchy of safety controls. i heard of that before. So it's like elimination substitution and, and going like basically training down the list. And then personal protective equipment tends to be the last thing on the list. Instead of putting gloves on somebody, you try to get, rid of the hazard altogether. And if you can't get rid of the hazard altogether, you make some kind of substitution, or if you can't, you try to put distance between the person and the hazard, that kind of thing. So you follow that order. But what was another thing that was kind of surprising is that in practice, even safety managers who are trained on that often forget that. So our our sales team, I'll I'll tell the story is our sales team, one of the guys, he was in a pulp and paper mill. They have these, uh, what's called doctor blades. They're these enormous blades that cut huge rolls of paper. And the blades weigh, I don't know, 50 pounds or something like that. And they're razor sharp. And then so every once in a while, they have to be sharpened. So at one pulp and paper mill, the guy took off the, the blade and was walking across the factory floor to the sharpener. And he slipped and cut his belly. And he had to get stitches. So like cut, sliced them right in the belly and stitches all, uh. through, all through his stomach. Yikes. And then so they, this guy called in um, our sales guy. And he was saying, okay, I need a cut resistant apron and really super high cut resistant gloves. And our sales guy said, like he just said, Why don't you just build a box so the guy's not carrying the thing? Like and put the box on a cart so the guy's not carrying it half a mile to the sharpener. And the guy's like, Yeah, that's a good idea. So that the sales rep like could have made a hundred thousand dollar sale there, but instead he like the guy spent fifty dollars on plywood. And I mean it's still a good idea to put the, the highly cut resistant gloves on, but it was that safety manager that jumped to the bottom and went right to personal protective equipment rather than remembering that hierarchy of safety controls. So that, that was kind of interesting that maybe it's like human nature for us to like go to wearing gloves as opposed to eliminating hazards.
1: Well, I think I think that's a huge point. And I, I know a lot of people probably listening to this um, have heard of that hierarchy in some regard before, particularly where it comes to just designing out the hazard right at the top. Like if you can eliminate that to begin with, that's the biggest part. And then like you said, going down to – Substitution, putting some barrier in place, down to personal protective equipment. After that, um, did I get that order right? Was it was that pretty close? It's pretty close. I think there's okay. a couple
0: steps <laughs> there. I can't remember them all always too, but like training is one of them as well. You know, like
1: mm, to, to train. Right. For that
0: like, it starts from most effective to least effective and gloves and personal protective are at the bottom.
1: Well, not only is it important to keep in mind doing the things to prevent the injury or prevent the, even, I, I don't want to say prevent the need for personal protective equipment, but make that kind of, like you said, your last resort. That's an extremely important thing for manufacturing leaders to be keeping in mind. The other thing I'm curious about is how often do you find yourself in that scenario? Cause you're selling safety equipment. How often are you coaching your client to say, you know what? Yeah, we could sell you some gloves, but we see a bigger issue here that if you solve that, you might be able to you know, make this less of a potential hazard for you overall. Do you have that conversation
0: often? Um, not as often, I think, as we should. And I think it mainly because we, we don't have the expertise. So to the honest answer is I wish we were having it more often because really you want our goal is to reduce those, those injuries. Like if maybe we need better training for our sales staff or ourselves, to like to be able to recognize those hazards and be able to say maybe the machine needs a guard or this is the best best practice here kind of thing. So we do have it when we know, but could be more often, I think.
1: Nevertheless, I love that story you told of what I would call sales integrity that you shared a moment ago. I thought that was a, I thought that was a great example. As we continue to get closer to the point of wrapping up, I'm curious. You talked about establishing that culture of trust being a big thing for incorporating safety. For someone that wants to get started in this journey, that's, let's say, an operations manager at a manufacturing facility, what would be one actionable piece of advice that you might give someone to start on a path to a safer workplace or building in that culture of safety at the workplace?
0: So I think that that's an interesting question. The challenge kind of goes both ways. Like, how do you get employees to buy in? Mm -hmm. And then how do you get upper management to buy in? we've seen, the harder one is to get upper management to buy in. A lot of safety managers, they know, or operations managers, they kind of know how to reach workers know how to reach their employees. And, and so just kind of like that story I told is like, get out on the floor, do the job, talk to people, understand where they're coming from. Uh, but then when it came to upper management, that was like, there wasn't a lot of information there. We really had to to dig because pretty much everybody said, well, you just have to provide the ROI of safety. And then when we really actually found the stories where there was a CEO that changed from being sort of anti-safety to pro-safety, and never they were presented with ROI, and then they made a change. So people kind of think CEOs are like human calculators and like they just need to see the dollar figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ones that changed, they, they typically had had a come-to-Jesus moment. Like there was a construction company in Canada, and uh, one of the founders was killed. And then so the other family members are like, we've got to change what we're doing. Or there's du- Dupont is a good example. Like they used to, like hundreds of years ago, they they had a bad safety record. They were blowing up their plants all the time because they were making gunpowder. One of their family members died putting out a fire at one of the plants. And now they have one of the best safety records in the United States. So it's not they didn't look at the ROI. You know, they had moments where like um, emotional decision. So what we did find is like people tend to be, and CEOs included or upper management included, tend to make emotional decisions and then back those up with numbers after they make that decision that we're kind of emotional creatures right so that the people that uh, succeeded in changing cultures they typically got people to buy in with stories and got them emotionally invested and sometimes it was just like little steps at first you know so just like a little bit of buy-in and then a little bit more and a little bit more so that would be my advice is like don't think of the if you're trying to change upper management don't think of the ceo as a, as a human calculator that doesn't hurt like it doesn't hurt to give the roi but you have mm-hmm. Tell them stories and get them to reason and personalize safety and get them to buy in a little bit out of time.
1: You know, it's it's becoming kind of a trend on this show that we're hearing more stories about the human element coming out because yeah, there's an importance to the ROI, there's an importance in manufacturing to, you know, having a sustainable business, one that's profitable, one that generates revenue. But I'm hearing more and more stories where leaders are making their decisions around things that might not be immediately tangible from a dollar's perspective, but are nevertheless the right decision to be making when it comes to making sure people are coming to work and have a safe place to come when they're going to their job. I've got two questions left as we're wrapping things up. My first question is, what's something you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet?
0: Maybe the weirdest safety practice that
1: we saw. I'm on board with that. That sounds great. I feel like another story is about to come out. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: so this one was my my favorite story from all the research that we did. Is um, There was an oil and gas company in Alberta, and what they had done is they uh, decided the, to harness the the power of positive peer pressure. They were having a lot of hand injuries, and so they created this campaign. And again, before I even tell the story, they had a really good sense of camaraderie. And like a lot of trust between their employees and, and their, all their coworkers and everything. And um, so they created a campaign. They gave all their employees a pair of pink gloves. And they said, if you see somebody doing something unsafe for their hands, you just go up to them and say, hey, buddy, you're wearing the pink gloves today. And then they donated $5 to breast cancer research. And their hand injury rates like just plummeted. So they're like, (laughs) if you're the guy wearing the the pink gloves for the day, all your coworkers are, are giving you a hard time in a fun way, you know? And so for them, that really worked. And we saw kind of other examples of that, of like using that peer pressure to make everybody responsible for safety and then kind of making it fun at the same time
1: great story i hope there was still a good donation to breast cancer awareness i think
0: there was quite a (laughs) bit
1: yeah hopefully that was just out of goodwill where it's like man we've made this place so safe but we're not donating anything hopefully (laughs) something like that went in hand fingers crossed but love that story love adding the fun element to it my last question is what's next for superior glove as well as you you've got the new book out today literally today is the release date and I'm just curious, what's, uh, what's next on your plate and what are you excited about?
0: Um, well, we're excited to sh- kind of share this message and then just get out there and help those companies reduce hand injuries. So I think that hand injuries are the number one preventable workplace injury. It just happens too often. And they, really, those, those companies are companies that are not having hand injuries or next to no hand injuries. We can dramatically reduce those hand injuries and I think with the right message and and just the right actions to follow it up that those injuries can be like next to eliminated.
1: Awesome. Love the wrap up. For those of you that want to learn more, make sure to check out Rethinking Hand Safety, Joe's new book. You can find that at rethinkinghandsafety.com and make sure to give Superior Glove a look as well. You can follow them on LinkedIn. I'll have links to all of these in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. In the meantime, Joe, thanks so much for being on today's show.
0: Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it.
1: And for those of you listening, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thank to Joe Gang for jumping on today's show. Not only does it sound like Superior Glove is doing some great stuff, but I'm looking forward to diving into the new book, Rethinking Hand Safety. Again, if you want to learn more about that, sure, there are links over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com, but they have made a very simple way of accessing that through rethinkinghandsafety.com. Definitely check it out if you enjoyed today's conversation. All other resources from this episode can be found over at manufacturinghappyhour.com. And again, if you're digging what you are hearing on this podcast, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review for this show at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, where you hit that five-star button. We love that. But also, if you can leave a short review saying what you're loving about the show— That would be greatly appreciated, and it helps get the show on the map. Again, that's ManufacturingHappyHour.com slash iTunes. One final shout-out to our sponsor for this episode. Concept Systems. If you're looking for an independent systems integrator or an automation solution partner, look no further than Concept Systems. They really do have tremendous experience project managing and executing on automation projects across a number of industries. If you're interested in chatting with them or you have a project coming up, head to ConceptSystemsInc.com for further information. And with that, thanks so much for listening to today's first ever safety edition of Manufacturing Happy Hour. We'll catch you back here next week with another full-length episode. Cheers. Thanks
0: for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.